You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are continuing the Farm System Rundown series, the Farm System Top 10s, whatever you want to call it. And we're going with the Detroit Tigers in this one after I just published our Top 10 Prospects for the Detroit Tigers on JustBaseball.com. If you are waiting for the Royals top 10, that is coming up next on the next episode because I just wanted to take a just a little bit of a detour from the Royals because I felt like I had talked about the Royals on the all prospect team because the Royals had three players on there. And then I talked about the Royals a lot on the episode with Jeff Ponce, who, by the way, just announced that he is making the jump to Baseball America, which is very exciting. So congratulations to him, and it's going to be fun. Next time we talk, he will be uh, Jeff Ponce from Baseball America. So that will be a great, great time being able to talk to him from that lens as well. But I just felt like we were talking about the Kansas City Royal system so frequently over the last three episodes that I wanted to mix it up a little bit. Uh, I'm sure if you're a Royals fan, you had no problem with it, but I just wanted to break it up with some Tigers here, and then we can get back to those Royals prospects because I just felt like I've been discussing Prado, Melendez, and even Pasquantino a little bit too much over the last few episodes, and I wanted to mix it up. That said, we did talk about Riley Green and Torkelson, but there's so much more in this Tiger system that I'm looking forward to talking about. So I'm going to go through, of course, Green and Torkelson, but I'm not going to spend too much time on those guys because I feel like I've talked about them a ton over the last handful of episodes and just in recent history. And I feel like those are some of the more well-known guys in terms of what they're able to do and uh, what their potential is. I don't think there's too much debate. I don't think there's too much uh, to be discussed in regards to how good these guys can be. It's just whether they're going to reach that ceiling or not. And, uh, you know, if anything, God forbid, gets in the way. So I am really excited about this Tiger system. There's a lot of talent. I will say, though, as I got to the five, six spot, which we'll see, it starts to get a little bit more difficult because you're deciding between either a 22, 23-year-old prospect who struggled last year because there were quite a few of those guys on the offensive side of things for the Tigers, or you're leaning towards a 17, 18-year-old who you haven't seen much of, but has that upside and hasn't disappointed you yet. So it was a, a difficult juggle there of, do you go with the Daniel Cabreras of the world or the Christian Santanas of the world? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. So starting real quick with number one, one in this system. And by the way, you can follow along because there's some videos that I'll reference here uh, from a couple swings, especially when I get to Dylan Dingler, uh, that you can follow along with the article that's embedded in the description uh, that'll take you to the top 10 and the write-ups and the specific scouting grades on JustBaseball.com. But number one's Riley Green. And we talked about this with the episode with Jeff Ponce, where it's just the fact that Riley Green could very well stick in center field. If he goes to a corner, he's going to be a plus defender in the corner. And that's going to just be way more valuable than a DH slash first baseman in Torkelson in terms of just war and a lot of other aspects of what you value in a baseball player. It's not a slight of Torkelson. It's just a boost to Riley Green because he is so well-rounded. And the more I watch this guy, the more I start to believe that there is 
some extra power production. I don't think anybody's doubting that there's an ability to hit for a good deal of power with Riley Green, but there is somewhat of a limitless potential there. I don't know if he's quite going to hit for the power that Spencer Torkelson does uh, or will, but he does have easy 30 plus home run pop and you can really see it because he's still he's still really gaining that strength and that man strength and also just figuring out how to translate that into backspinning baseballs and and when to leverage those counts and when to look to do damage because he is also a really good hitter just a pure hitter as well. I think that when we see him next year in the minor leagues, if he does start the season there, which I would assume he does, even though I think he's pretty darn close to big league ready, he's going to have his K rate drop dramatically. It seemed like with a lot of the at-bats that I watched, Riley Green was more so just feeling out what is much more advanced, much more experienced pitching, and still, he was keeping the Ks in the low 20s at the highest mid-20% range, offsetting it with walks, offsetting it with a ton of production. So even if it stayed there forever, in terms of his K rate, if it stayed there forever, he would still be just fine. But I'm expecting that K rate to drop below the 20% range as he continues to get more comfortable up there. As I talked about in the episode with Jeff Ponce, it's easy to forget that Riley Green could be in college right now, and instead, he was excelling in AAA. I really expect that K rate to continue to drop. He's not that kind of swing and miss profile, and the approach is just too sound. The rest of his game is just, there's there's not really a hole in it. He's an above average runner. Even if he slows down a little bit, he'll still be a slightly above average runner. He is a great hitter. He has plus raw power. He's a good defender. There's not much to not like. He's got the makeup. He earns really high marks for the way he approaches the game, his attitude, his intellect. Frankly, I'm surprised that this guy wasn't a consensus number one overall pick knowing what we know now, but maybe he didn't show some of this stuff back when he was in high school. And and obviously, it's a very fluid situation with these young, athletic, big-bodied hitters that they can change a lot over the course of a year for better and for worse. Uh, But when they have these big-time progressions, it's a lot of fun to watch. Moving on to Spencer Torkelson, because Spencer Torkelson is another guy that, you know, we've talked about a ton, number one overall pick in the 2020 draft, uh, just has really hit his whole life, hit his whole career. And when you break Barry Bonds' record in anything, by breaking his freshman home run record at Arizona State, you are in pretty good shape uh, in terms of what the rest of your career is going to look like. Torkelson's a rare blend of plus hit and plus plus raw power that you dream on. You absolutely dream on. You never think you're going to find that. And when you do, you grab onto it and you don't let go. It doesn't matter if he's the worst defender in baseball. Obviously, I mean, I'll take that back. Of course, it would matter if he was the worst defender in baseball. It matters for anybody. But he is such a good hitter that he would force his way into a lineup even if he was me out there at third base because he is that pure and powerful of a hitter. I've never really seen somebody just roll right into pro ball and have such easy takes, such easy at-bats, And people were making a lot of, uh, I remember people were talking about, should we be concerned about the uh, spring training struggles? Well, that was his pro debut. His pro debut was sitting in the middle of the Tigers lineup. It was mostly the big league lineup and facing big league arms. And yeah, of course he struggled. But that move by the Tigers there was a vote of confidence. It was saying, hey, we know he's probably going to struggle here, but like, let's get him some experience because we know he's going to fly through the minors and everything else is going to seem a lot easier after this. Let's, let's get him used to it. He surprised me with his defense at third, though I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he's going to play there. I think it's more likely we see him at first and DHing. 
uh, at the big league level, which again, he's going to hit so much that it shouldn't be a big problem. I mean, look at Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, the way he hits, nobody cares that he is not good at first or DH. He's still one of the most valuable players in all of baseball. But when you look at what Torkelson does at the plate and what he was able to do over the course of the season, it's just something that you look at him and you say, okay, this is just somebody that is built to hit. He, he just sees the ball differently than everybody else. I feel like he sees the seams while everybody else sees a little aspirin pill flying at them. He can count the seams as the pitch is coming in. And that's how easy his takes are. And that's how comfortable he is. And that's why you don't really see him take any really bad swings at baseballs. And in a world where it's all about stuff and it's really hard to hit, and everything is coming at you 98 miles an hour. He seems to slow the game down really well, and I think he's going to be able to translate that to the big league level really well as we continue to see him do through every level of the minor leagues after that slow start in high A, which I think he was still working things out after what was a very difficult spring training and was ready to go after a little bit of struggles and started to get more aggressive again, and that controlled aggression is what really worked for him. Riley Green maybe could use a few more ABs in AAA, and I'm sure they can justify that with you know saying they want to see him a little bit more in center, and they want to see him get some more at-bats. It makes sense from the Riley Green standpoint to maybe have a few months in the minor leagues before calling him up next season, but I think Spencer Torkelson is ready to go on the opening day roster. Depending on how service time is going to be set up for next year and how that goes in the CBA, which I'm not sure if anybody's really going to be fighting for that the way that we think they are. There's just so many other topics and so many other important things. And the way we see minor leaguers not really have representation at the table there uh, and not really have a voice for them in these CBA negotiations. Because remember, all of these players that are representing the Players Association and basically everybody that's uh, trying to go back and forth here with the owners, those players have already really gotten going right in their service time. They're already big leaguers. So, yes, We'd like to think that they care about service time manipulation, but it doesn't really affect them anymore because they're already in the big leagues. And I don't think it's really an issue that's going to be on the forefront of their mind. Guessing by the way that minor league treatment has slow rolled over the years because nobody really represented them and stood up for them in those CBA negotiations. I'm curious to see how it's going to look in this year and whether somebody's going to really stand up and try to do something about service time manipulation and how that'll look. Regardless, I think Spencer Torkelson's ready to go right away. And that's going to be up to the Tigers, who were a surprisingly good team last year and who I think can really get off to a hot start and be that young, exciting 2022 version of the Mariners. I really do believe that, especially with a strong offseason here where I think they might spend a little bit of money. We've heard them talk about or we've heard people talk about Carlos Correa there, you know, reuniting with A.J. Hinch and how that could be the nice little needle mover to put this team over the top. And I really like the idea of them going to get somebody and complementing those core you know pickups with some really young exciting good pieces that should translate pretty well to the big league level so I would like to see Torkelson up there right away if he's not up there right away I assume it'll be a month or two they might cite defense again which it's not like a Chris Bryant type of situation because if they are really trying to make sure if he's capable of playing third or if he's capable of playing first before calling him up I could justify it a little bit Uh, but if he's mostly DHing in the minor leagues and he's not up there I'm going to lose 
lose my mind. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But he's that ready. His his swing is big league ready and so smooth, so easy, so repeatable. He will be able to hit at the big league level. I don't foresee much struggles there if he does. It's just more about how he's being pitched and pitch recognition, and I think he'll get there. But there's nothing mechanical with his swing I would change. It's so easy and works perfectly and is so simple to repeat. And there's not much you can change about the way he approaches the game at the plate. I think he's ready to go. Let's talk about number three here before we go into a break and then go to the rest of these top prospects in the Tiger system. So it was close to decide who the number three prospect in the system was. And generally, I make the case against going with the draftees, the recent draftees who haven't done anything yet ahead of the guys that have done some stuff. I absolutely am very strong on that take. But Jackson Job, I was watching more and more high school video of Jackson Job. Obviously, he was just selected in the 2021 draft, number three overall. And I just was like, man, this guy could end up being the best pitcher in the entire draft. And if that's what I came away with, because I love Jack Leiter, and if that's what I came away with, that Jackson Job could be the best pitcher in the 2021 draft, how can I not rank that guy ahead of Dylan Dingler? Again, not an indictment on Dylan Dingler. Dingler is a stud, and I'm going to get to him in a second. But Job, 6'2", 195, but just effortless velo, so athletic, so, so athletic, explosive fastball. The spin rates on his pitches are off the charts. 3,000 RPMs on his slider with just sharp, sharp break already. It's a 70-grade slider potentially and a 60-70-grade to 70 grade fastball for a high school prep arm who apparently... And I see it too, but a a bunch of different analysts and a bunch of different scouts and teams. And the big takeaway from everybody that I've talked to is that he is as advanced of a high school pitcher as we've seen in a while. So he's advanced. He has a big athletic body. He has good sound mechanics and he's a spin rate freak. I mean, what else do you want to see from a 19-year-old pitcher? I loved everything that I saw from this kid. And I think he's going to fast track through the minors. So he's one of the rare exceptions to how I feel about drafting, or excuse me, not drafting, but to ranking prospects ahead of guys who have already done some things that are impressive, because I am so excited to see this guy get going. I think he's going to hit the ground running. I love everything I've seen. And when you like what you see from the eye test, and then it back, it's backed up by also the pitch data and also hitters accounts and everything in between. You got to love what you're seeing from Jackson Job here, who no doubt has the upside of an ace and is a very, very exciting prospect. I'd like to go more in depth on him, but you know, I've only seen what I was able to see and I haven't been able to see him in person. I've seen a lot of video. I've seen a lot of the pitch data and obviously I see his physicality and his mechanics and that's just enough to dream on for me uh, from what we see there. But it's a 60 to 70 grade fastball. I'd say 60 present, 70 future. Same with the slider, 60 present, 70 future. Curveball he's shown a good feel for at times. Needs to kind of differentiate that from the slider a bit more. But the way he's able to spin the slider, I expect him to be able to spin the the, the curveball as he continues to get a better feel for it. The changeup, too. That's the crazy thing is he's already shown a good feel for a changeup at 19 years old. And with the way that he is able to get life on that fastball and that rising, perceived rising action on the fastball, limited vertical drop on that pitch, the changeup is going to work really well off of it. So you could end up having 
four solid pitches. I would say two plus plus pitches with the fastball and the slider. The changeup has a chance to be plus as well. And the curveball is an above average pitch. He's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem. And he could be pretty similar to a Grayson Rodriguez type in terms of his deep arsenal and the way he's able to command it. That's the one thing, though. I want to see how the command develops on a, on a professional scale. And that will be interesting to watch. But Jackson Job, really exciting piece there. And another great, great selection by the Tigers, who definitely had to lose a lot to get some of these guys. But now they are ready to shift gears and get closer to winning. For reference on the spot where I have Job on our top 100 list, he's at 35. So that's how high I am on Jackson Job. Again, not an indictment on Dylan Dingler, who I think Job will be throwing to, whether it's in three or four years, because Dingler is going to be the catcher for the Tigers for the foreseeable future. I will get to the exciting backstop in a moment, but before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Let me know if this sounds familiar. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, and then maybe you're watching your sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you that there is a much more simple way to get all of the entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. You can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors, including coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. My favorite is definitely mint brownie, but they are all easy to chew, covered in chocolate, great for a keto diet because they're low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs, high in protein. What else would you want from a protein bar at about 17 to 18 grams of protein, only 130 to 180 calories in each bar? And did you know that Built Bar is also the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team? If you go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKS15, that's LOCKS15, you'll get 15% off your order. That's Built.com, promo code LOCKS15 for 15% off your next order. So let's get to number four on this top 10 prospect list for the Detroit Tigers. And number four is a prospect that I really liked in the draft and has only just made his stock more valuable since being selected 38th overall in the 2020 draft. And that is Dylan Dingler, catcher out of Ohio State, who has a really cool story in terms of where he started in college and then where he ended up. And it's a big reason why I'm really excited about Dingler, who continues to just get better behind the dish and better at the plate. Dingler entered college as a center fielder, and that's where he started. He was a good athlete, played multiple sports, played basketball, I believe, with Kyle Nicholas of Ball State. where he was drafted by the Marlins in the second round and had a spectacular year on the mound there. So they both have a background together. I believe they played tons of baseball together as well. So pretty cool that they were able to 
realized their professional dream together and both prospects I am very excited about and, and I'm very high on. But Dingler makes the move from center field to catcher in his sophomore season where he really goes full-time behind the dish and didn't really miss a beat. He made the transition really smooth. His arm really showed up back there. He got better and better with his blocking and with his framing, and that's something that got better as the professional season went on, too, after getting drafted. And the bat really played. The bat really did play. And we saw him hit quite well right out of the gate when he got to high A in 2021. Obviously, after the draft in 2020, didn't get to make his pro debut. So our first look at him professionally was in 2021, and he starts in high A with Torkelson. And they both, I mean, Torkelson started a little bit slow, and it was actually Dingler who started hotter. And then Torkelson got hot and never looked back, where Dingler hit a bit of a wall in double A, which I'll get to. But with what Dingler did, 287, 376, 549 slash line, eight home runs, and a 149 WRC plus to start that high A stint. And that was just 32 games. 32 games, he hits eight home runs and slashes what he slashed there. And maybe the Tigers were a bit too aggressive in promoting him because remember, he's a catcher, and not just a catcher, a catcher that was converted only a few years ago from center field. If Dingler played any other position, I would have said that it wasn't an aggressive assignment to move him up to double A after 30 something games. But remember, as a catcher, you have a lot more of an undertaking when you get to double A, where you're going to have to now deal with a whole new pitching staff. You're going to have to deal with what is just a much faster game. I talk to players who play the outfield and they say that once you get from high A to double A, the game is just so much faster. Now imagine you're a catcher how much the game speeds up on you there behind the dish. And not only that, the quality of stuff oftentimes from your starting pitchers is better. Yes, they may command it a bit better, so that helps, but a tighter strike zone, more emphasis on framing, more emphasis on blocking, base runners who are more aggressive and are better at reading dirt bowls and better at running on the right pitches. But despite that, he gunned down well over 35% of base stealers, which is really strong as well because of that massive arm that he has, tons of back picks too. He looked really good behind the dish up there, but he didn't hit well in double A. And I think that was because of the fact that there was just so much to absorb there for Dylan Dingler, who again, just made the move to catcher just a couple years prior. And after hitting in high A the way he did, gets the move up to double A and has to catch back there and also hit. And his manager said basically, his double-A manager said, yeah, I mean, the hitting is is a bonus for a guy like Dylan Dingler when you're making the move to catcher in double-A and handling this staff and making this big jump defensively. Anything offensively is a bonus. And I think that that mentality with Dingler won't have to last very long because he's always going to hit. And I expect him to come into double-A next year and hit quite well because when I get to his swing, when I look at the swing, he is very, very geared for consistent contact. I don't think that there's going to be a lot of swing and miss there. There's not much to time up. It's a small weight shift. It's a short stride and just really quick hands. And that's the athleticism making its way to the batter's box. He's a very twitchy athlete, which means he's able to just generate a lot of bat speed with a little bit of effort. So that's very, very good for guys uh, when you're projecting a hit tool. And that's why I have a 55 future value on his hit tool. When you look at the power, it's definitely above average. I put 55 on the raw power and probably 50 game power. It may not play up the 
away, you hope, in a place like America Park. I think he could be a 20 home run guy, 15 to 20 home run guy with a room for a little bit more. We'll see. But he's always going to be high average, walk a decent amount. And there's a similar profile offensively and also defensively in terms of the athleticism. I don't know if we'll quite get to this level because he's just such a good receiver, but who knows? JT Real Muto, when you look at Real Muto's numbers, 275 hitter usually, 350-ish range on base percentage, hits 15 to 20 home runs, hits a lot of doubles, and obviously a phenomenal, phenomenal defender and a good runner, a very good runner. And he's probably faster than Dingler. And that's the craziest part about it. He was a quarterback that uh, Rio Muto was in high school and was really a shortstop a lot of the time in high school too before the Marlins really made him full-time catcher and his athleticism just shined through. So I think that that's something similar that we'll see with Dingler. I don't know if we'll ever quite get to that level of Rio Muto, but a Rio Muto light, which I always think the player X and then the word light has a little bit of a negative connotation to it because I still think Dingo can be an all-star. So light might be extreme. I just don't know if we'll quite reach that Real Muto well-roundedness because Real Muto's receiving is so strong. But Dingler has a bigger arm, uh, I would argue, and also maybe not quite the ability to hit because I think JT is such a phenomenal hitter, but but pretty close. I really do believe in that Dingler bat, um, and I'm interested to see how it progresses. I think that if everything works out well for Dingler, he has an outside shot at becoming that kind of player. And the fact that you can say that out of a guy that you drafted 38th overall in 2020, that's very, very exciting. He has that kind of upside. Regardless, with his profile, I think he's got a high floor and with his offensive ability as well, he has a chance to be one of the better catchers in baseball because of how thin the position is, how rare it is to have guys that can actually hit at that position. He's going to be a very, very good catcher, whether he's hitting 270 with 25 bombs or he's hitting 260 with 15 bombs. The defense is going to be the big X factor there, and I do believe in it because that arm is legit. He is so well, uh, or he moves so well behind the dish. I really see a step below JT Real Muto being his realistic ceiling, which would still make him one of the better catchers in the game. You you look at the other catchers, a Will Smith, for example. I love his bat. I love his bat, and I think he's made some improvements behind the dish, but just so much giving, he's giving up so much uh, when it comes to throwing runners out and some of the defensive things there. He's improved a lot, but there's he's still giving up some in that area where Dylan Dingler, I don't know if he'll have a hole in his game. So Will Smith will probably always be the better player because of how good he is offensively and how much better he's gotten receiving-wise, but there won't be that one hole in Dingler's game that you really poke at, like Will Smith, like running on Will Smith all the time. Next up is probably the last prospect I'm going to get to here because of the fact that number six on this top 10 is a prospect I want to spend about 10 minutes on. Uh, Number six is Roberto Campos, who I'm going to discuss a lot in part two of this episode because I really like what I see in limited looks from Campos, but I am a big fan of what I've seen from him. So I want to be able to go long on the breakdown of Roberto Campos. So he'll lead off the part two of this episode. But coming up at number five is another really intriguing pitching prospect who I got to see over in Omaha. And he's got a lot going for him. But there were some little underlying issues or underlying concerns that caused him to fall a little bit in the draft because he was somebody that we were discussing as a top 10 pick. That's Ty Madden. Went to the University of Texas. Ends up getting drafted 32nd overall 
in 2021, which is nothing to, uh, you know, hang your head about if you're Ty Madden. But we were talking about a top 10 guy here because he's 6'3", 215, has your prototypical pitcher's body. He's young for a college arm at just 21 years old. He has a fastball that sits in the mid-90s, runs up to the upper 90s, hit 99 a couple occasions, a plus slider, and... Not really a changeup that we've seen much of, but at least had shown an idea for it. And that's probably enough to say, hey, that's that's a top 10 guy because we feel like we can develop him. But for some reason, he falls a little bit. And that's what I'm going to talk about, because there were some concerns on the pitch profile and, and the way that his stuff was playing. And as I've been able to gain more access to data and access to college data as well, I was looking at time add and stuff and, and looking at his fastball specifically because he throws that pitch two-thirds of the time or at least through that pitch two-thirds of the time his junior year and we know what it looks like it looks like a really really good pitch and it has life it has riding action and it's in the mid-90s and he can run it up to 98 99 when he really wants to reach back so why did it only have a 17 percent whiff rate in college baseball because that's what it was 17 percent whiff rate on that pitch while that's not terrible For a first round pick that is using his fastball two thirds of the time, you want to see that more in the 23, 24, 25% range. That's where you see lighter. That's where you saw a lot of these other guys. They were in the 25, 27% range, even on the fastball. Of course, it's not going to translate to the professional level probably that same way. To get a 20 plus percent whiff rate on your fastball at the pro level is pretty ridiculous. But in college, we're talking about Division I college, you should be able to get more than a 17% whiff rate on your heater when it's your go-to pitch when you are a first-round prospect and you're throwing mid to upper 90s with movement, with some solid movement. So the, the question was there is, is why is he not getting the whiffs? So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to just invest a lot of time into time out in here and figure this one out because it just doesn't make sense to me. And I watched a couple starts. And what I realized is the pitch profile is strong. And I think that was some of the confusion there of people being like, well, why did Madden fall? And there were rumblings about the pitch data and whatever. And and nobody really put their finger on it. Nobody really told me a specific reason why uh, that he fell. And when I'm looking at this, I'm seeing that 17% whiff rate. And I'm like, okay, well, that definitely uh, had to be a factor. And also, you know, maybe there was some health concerns. Who knows what else there was there? But uh, overall, he's a really good prospect. So as I'm watching these starts, I realize he throws strikes. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He definitely isn't somebody that has this erratic command, but he is a control over command guy at this point. And that is what's held his fastball back. I was looking at the spots that were set up where you'd have the fastball in a spot that he's set up well with a good slider and you're ready to see that fastball you know up and in on a righty with that riding action and he totally misses out over the middle that's a pitch that yeah he missed out over the middle it was 96 and it got fouled off or it got put in play for an out and that's fine time Adams like okay it got put in play for an out I'm fine with that and you're trying to win ball games so you don't really care but when we're looking at the data the individual data of pitches he missed his spot he could have got a whiff there didn't get a whiff because he missed over the middle and in the big leagues 
or even in professional baseball, you can get burned on missing that spot no matter how hard you throw and no matter how much movement you have. But in college, 98 or 96 with life is going to be hard for a lot of D1 hitters to square up. That being said, there's some D1 hitters a lot more than there used to be that will that will punish that baseball, especially at the College World Series level and in those spots. But that was a very telling thing to me as I watched more and more innings from Ty Madden is how often he just missed the spot. He threw a strike, though. It wasn't like he was totally missing the entire zone, but the spot was set up for a reason. He set it up with a good slider and then would just miss with the fastball, and it would be more in a spot where the hitter can get a piece of it and a a spot where it doesn't play off of the movement profile very well and it gives the hitter a chance. That's really it. So that really made me more optimistic on him. The slider was a similar thing too, where sometimes he'd establish a good fastball and set up the slider well and just miss the spot, maybe make a non-competitive pitch. And after you spike a slider, now you're going back to the heater and the guy's ready to go. The hitter's ready to go for a heater and they're going to get a piece of it. That was somewhat what it was for me. So with the command, he seems like he's a tick up on the command. Right now it's 40 present, but I think he can figure it out because again, he's able to control well enough that it should work out, and I think he'll continue to get better in that department. As he gets better with his command and starts to hit his spots more, he could be a really scary pitcher. I think the other X factor, like every pitcher that I always talk about on here, especially these young power guys, is the third pitch. And he only threw the change up about 5% of the time. So we didn't really get a legitimate opportunity to see it very often. And he only threw it for a strike half of the time. So we only threw it 5% of the time. And that 5%, only 2.5% were strikes. So it was not a very frequent occasion of seeing him really command that changeup. But when he did command it, that 50% of the time that he did throw that changeup for a strike, he got a lot of swings and misses. So it's a pitch that showed some, some potential. And that's enough for me because I think when you get a team like the Tigers, who's done a pretty good job as of late developing pitchers, I think they'll do a good job with Ty Madden, who I think has a lot more going for him than some of the other guys that they had to develop. Um, and I think even has more pitchability than a Tarek Skubal, who the Tigers were obviously able to help develop a lot and had a very good year uh, this year. So I'm expecting that fastball whiff rate to continue to improve. And the slider, I mean, that's that's his bread and butter. He threw that pitch around 33% of the time, maybe a little bit less. And he got a ton of swing and misses on it. And that was a really, really effective pitch for him. 50% whiff rate on that slider. And it was effective to righties and lefties. He racked up roughly the same whiff rate against right-handers and left-handed hitters because it's so sharp with late break and good tilt that he can back leg left-handed hitters. He can sweep it away from right-handed hitters. And it overlays really well with the action of his fastball when he locates it. So really the big X factor is command and the change up like so many different pitchers but with the fastball that he has presently in the profile and the profile that slider and already good enough control which is still good right he throws strikes enough that I think it hedges a lot of the risk his mechanics are clean enough I don't see much reliever risk here I see number two upside if he really can iron out those two big x factors but those are big ifs if if he kind of irons out both of them if he gets you know 
fringe average to average command and an average changeup or even below average changeup, I still think he's got a really good shot at being a number three starter uh, in, in the major league level. That's how good of a pick this was. The Tigers continue to smash these drafts, and that's why they have such a fun system to talk about, which I'm going to continue to talk about on tomorrow's episode, where I'm going to get through six to ten, and then a couple honorable mentions. Roberto Campos will start it off. He will lead off tomorrow, which I don't think he'll do too much of in his professional career because of how much power I think he's going to hit for. So a little bit of a tease there. Looking forward to talking about part two of this Tiger system with you and a reminder that you can just check out the full article in the description. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to leave a rating as it helps me immensely with visibility and growing this show. As always, thank you for listening and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow. 